Welcome back to QAV. This is season six for some reason. Year, year four, season six, episode 02, and it's our first real episode for 2023. Happy New Year, TK. Happy New Year, Cam. How was your... It's been a month since we've uh, recorded an episode. How's your month been? Oh, really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, great. Been to Cape Shank, played a lot of golf, been up here, had Alex and Sean staying with me, had Ruddy up, had a good New Year's Eve, watched the fireworks. Yeah, it's been really good. Didn't miss the show? I, I enjoyed listening to your compilations, Ken. <laughs> thank you for that. They were great. <laughs> Actually, I really enjoyed the last one with the interviews. I, it's uh, It was really good to hear the quality of people that we've uh, had on the show. They're really smart people. Yeah, and, you know, I thought there were some really good insights and timeless insights uh, going back there. My original idea last week was to actually get Samatino on the show to talk about his investing and get an update from him. Tried calling him and I couldn't get through, so I started doing the edit. And then he did call me back. We had a long chat and we've actually decided we're going to do a podcast together, <laughs> which you'll love because we're going to, I'm going to get back to futurism and tech and yeah, you know the whole open AI, chat GPT thing. Steve's a futurist. That's what he does for a living. He's actually, uh, I can't talk about it. He's pitching a TV show, which I'll tell you about off air because he probably doesn't want it out there yet, but which sounds really interesting. But anyway, yeah, I think we'll get back to doing sort of a, because it's like cool stuff happening in tech now for the first time in, I don't know, since Steve Jobs died, I think. And rightly or wrongly, I think most of it is being driven in part or in whole by Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know you're not a big fan of Musk, but uh, between Tesla, OpenAI, Twitter, obviously SpaceX, Starlink, Neuralink, he has just, and the boring company, you know, I'm not sure about that one, but out of those half a dozen things, you know, when you add all of those things together, it's an amazing portfolio of cutting edge businesses that if he can integrate them all, if he can execute on half of them and integrate them, it's really going to be an interesting decade. But uh, anyway, so we'll see what happens with that. Well, yeah, that's true. However, <laughs> you left one off that list, Twitter. No, oh, I Which, said Twitter. Did you? Oh, sorry. Yeah. And I'm glad I wasn't a Tesla shareholder in the last uh, six to 12 months. Sure. But, you know, things go up, things go down. Maybe Tesla's not going to be the leader of the pack that it has been. But Twitter is an amazing asset, whether you like or dislike what he's doing with it, to have access to 500 million people that he can then plug his businesses into. I mean, that's an incredible, as a former uh, uh, bad marketer, Having an audience of 500 million people that you can just manipulate and determine what they get to see and what they don't get to see, I mean, that's worth $44 billion, I think, easily. Uh, so we'll see what it, yeah. whether or not he can take that asset and, and, and do something interesting with it remains to be seen. But um, anyway. And even if he can't, he can sell it to Rupert Murdoch on that <laughs> pitch, on the basis of the pitch you just gave. Yeah, it's, like MySpace. Here's MySpace. <laughs> MySpace yeah, 500 too. million people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, dear me. All right, let's get into the show. Charlie Munger turned 99 last week, so uh, happy birthday, Charlie. 
uh, caught up with a local QAV listener, Matthew, for a coffee this morning and Taylor came along and we were talking about Charlie and <laughs> Taylor said, yeah, he looks 99 too. He looks like... <laughs> well, he does. He, he looks like he's about to fall over. He looks like the walking dead. But as soon as he opens his mouth, you <laughs> yeah. go, oh, shit. Like he is he is not, uh, not weakened at all in terms of his ability to articulate what he thinks is going on. He's as sharp as a tack. Yeah, and think about all the stuff he said about Bitcoin mm-hmm. in the last couple of years and various other things. He is sharp as and spot on. Do you think if we drink Coke and eat seized candy, peanut brittle, we can live to be 100 as well? Oh, yeah, I think that's... But what yeah. is it with Charlie and Warren? Is it just because they're rich and they get the best medical attention? Like, I just can't work it out. Probably part of it, Because <laughs> they kind of defy all of the conventional medical yeah. uh, advice, don't they? You know, I've got other friends of mine that are in their 90s and are sharp and still with it and he- and relatively healthy. They're not super rich, but, you know, they've, I don't know, it's good luck, good diet. They've looked after themselves. But that's my point. Charlie and Warren haven't had a good diet. No, no. <laughs> Warren was interviewed a little while ago. He, I think he was one of the last people who bought a, one of those charity lunches with him for a million dollars, whatever it was, and they brought their daughter along and he said, said to the daughter who was eight years old, he said, uh, like I'm still eight years old, so don't change what you eat. <laughs> <laughs> Hamburgers, fries, and Coke Hamburgers, and fries, peanut Coke, brittle. candy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, happy birthday anyway to Charlie, and may we all be as lucky as uh, he is. Well, lucky, yeah, but like he's a smart guy. I mean, it's, it's if people want a New Year's Eve resolution, and I know that's a, one of the questions coming up, but go and read <laughs> things that Charlie's put out. Mm-hmm. And I don't just mean about investing. Read Paul Charlie's Almanac is fantastic. Read uh, The Latters, which is fantastic. There's biographies out about him, about how he's donated so much back to universities in particular, not just donated the money, but he gets his hands involved and says, look, the science labs when I was at university were shit. Here's how you do a science lab. And he redesigns a science lab, right? Just things like that. Very, very interesting guy. He's really a frustrated architect. Yeah. Well, he was a property developer. That was his first foray into investing. He has some great things to say about that. He talks about how he learned pretty quickly that, you know, if he didn't just build a box, he could add some value and, and charge a higher price if he made it nicer than the other ones that were there, put stuck some palm trees in the front yard, all that kind of stuff. He, he did well. But then he, he got introduced to Buffett and he realized that property development was a slow burn and Buffett was getting a much better and quicker return. So he changed. Yeah. Well, I meant luck in terms of health, not in terms of investment, but uh, how much of that is uh, money or luck or genetics, I don't know. But I think with, uh, you know, we stand a good chance with the way technology is going. I think if you can survive the next 15 years, you're probably going to take advantage of all of the stuff that Ray Kurzweil has been promising us for 25 years. And who's that other guy I used to interview? Um, Aubrey de Grey, all of that advanced medical technology. He had some problems recently too, I read. He was uh, kicked out of his position at the, whatever it was called. Methuselah Foundation? Something like that, yeah. Uh, Well, there you go. Anyway. Let's talk about commodities, Tony. There's some, I mean, commodities have been going up and down and changing status more often than, uh, I don't know, Scott Morrison and portfolios (laughs) uh, during his uh, prime ministership. (laughs) I think the status, according to Alex's analysis uh, on Monday, is we now have iron ore still a buy, gold is still a buy, both coals, thermal and coking, are Josephine's, mm-hmm. 
Crude oil is a sell. Copper's a Josephine. Platinum's a buy. Aluminium's a sell. Zinc's a Josephine. Tin's a buy. Magnesium's a sell. Manganese is a buy. Steel is a sell. LNG is a sell. Nickel's a Josephine. And iron and steel scrap is a Josephine. So there's not a lot of not a lot of buys in the whole commodity sector right now. Iron ore and gold, really, of the ones that really matter. Yeah, which are two big ones. Two yeah. big ones for us. But yeah, no, I agree. It's uh, I think commodities have had a good run and they're probably coming off. But coal, I mean, if you look at the monthlies, which is what we do when we're doing these charts, obviously, coal is a, currently a Josephine, but uh, we obviously got sort of rumours hit the market last week. <laughs> yeah. Again, I have to thank uh, Xi Jinping and the CCP because uh-huh. on Monday with the light portfolios, Monday last week, I bought two coal stocks, Yal and TER, and I made that decision on Monday when it was a public holiday, and then Tuesday morning when the market opened, I bought them, and then a few hours later... Somebody in QAV Club, I think it might have been Alice, pointed out that thermal coal had just become a Josephine that day. And I was like, oh, by the end of the day, those they were both down 5%. And I thought, oh, maybe I should just cut our losses and tell the light subscribers, sorry, it became a Josephine and blah, blah. If I'd known that, I wouldn't have bought them. And then I thought, well, I bought them in good faith. They were a buy when I made the decision. So I'll just stick with it. And then literally like a day or so later, the rumor came out that uh, China's going to start importing Australian coal again after a two-year break and <laughs> they all <laughs> shot up and they're all in the, the black again. So, And of course, the other, my other big mistake from a couple of months ago, SMR, that I bought when coking coal was a Josephine and, uh, and, and somebody pointed out I shouldn't have bought it. It's up 50% since I made that mistake. So... Uh, You know, coal keeps saving my ass when I make these decisions. But anyway, my point was going to be that I think it might be that uh, by the end of this month, coal will be a buy again, if uh, that is any indication of China's opening up. What do you think? Oh, you're asking me to predict where the coal price is going? Yeah, sure. (laughs) It was actually, it's back down today, I noticed. I'm just looking at the coal chart on trading economics. It was going up for the last few days. It was up to 400. Started the week at like, uh, or the year at 395, went up to $400 a ton USD. Back down to 394 today. So maybe it's easing off a bit again. Yeah, I mean, it could just be hype. It could be a news story. There's that. I mean, the Australian miners have been selling coal, so they found other people to sell it to besides China. So the question is, if China opens up, is that additional sales or does Australia just go, well, we're full, we've, we're selling coal to everyone else now and we don't have any more to sell to China? I don't, I don't know. Not my core competence. The market <laughs> seemed to think it was a good thing because all of our uh, coal share prices uh, spiked nicely last week. But <laughs> you were saying earlier off air, was it? SMR, you said you keep buying it and then not SMR, no. Um yeah, and coal was one of them. Right. They go up and then they go back down. <laughs> yeah, coal and, and New Hope, a couple of ones I've just been cycling through all the time. Yeah. Oh, New Hope has been an absolute champion for me. <laughs> oh good. It's sitting in my super portfolio. I think it's up 180% oh. since I added it to my super portfolio. <laughs> Nice. Well, and Whitehaven's like that for me, not not quite 180%, but it seems like if you can get into one and get started, they'll kick on. But if you just keep cycling through a late stage start, it's just been a pain. I was telling you off air, I got an email from one of our light subscribers this morning asking me about SMR. He said, he said first of all, light is great. It's, I'm, I'm doing really well. I'm really happy with my returns. 
He said, SMR's up 50% since I bought it. Should I sell it and take the profits? And I, of course, said, well, look, you know, I can't give financial advice, uh, so I can't tell you what you should do, but I can tell you what we will do is follow the rules and explain that we don't take profits because your experience is if you're on a winner, you stick with it because quite often they'll continue to win. Sometimes that doesn't work out. You know, Sometimes they don't, sometimes they do, but it's your old thing about why would you bench Michael Jordan? Yeah, that's Warren Buffett's old saying, yeah. You know the rule about that. The first time you say, you say, as Warren Buffett always says. The second time you say, as someone said. The third time it's, as I've always said. As I've always said, yeah. I give you credit for that. Anyway, the commodities uh, sort of week by week with the commodities at the moment, it's fairly turbulent. So, uh, yeah, what's good today may not be good tomorrow. Yeah. There was an article, I think it might have been in today's fin, about the commodity super cycle and how, you know, over the long term, they follow a normal sort of sign graph and we're in the downward trend of the latest commodity super cycle. But again, that's, uh, it doesn't really worry me because, or predict things because, you know, I think the trend started in the last commodity super cycle about 15 years ago. So, you know, you have plenty of ups and downs in that cycle anyway. Is that the El Nino or the La Nina of the commodity cycle? <laughs> Yeah, it's just called the commodity super cycle. I did the uh, dummy portfolio report to club members this morning. Dummy portfolio since inception is up about 16.5% per annum versus the STW over the same period, which is up about 6.6% per annum. So uh, not quite three times, let's say two and a half times. The STW since inception still uh, tracking nicely. For the financial year, we're still lagging the STW quite considerably. We're still up about 6.5% in the first six months of the financial year, so that's not too bad. SCW's up 14.7% though, so it's had a really good run uh, so far this financial year. But history uh, does what it does. Uh, it will pull back at some point and we'll keep going on our little steady uh, journey upwards. Correct. Yeah, there'll be periods, especially on a six-monthly time span where we underperform. But yeah, we've been going, that dummy portfolio has been going for what, three and a half, four years now? In April, it'll be, uh, no, uh, no, September. September, it'll be four years. It was three years last September, yeah. Okay, so just like, just under three and a half years. And and just, I mean, it's pretty much done what we said it would do. It's, it's achieved double market over over that time period. God, what a shock. Yeah. <laughs> How often in life do you find something that gives you what it says on the cover it'll give you? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I started the um, light portfolios at the beginning of last year and we we spent all of the capital in the first one in April last year. Or did we start it in April? No, I think it was fully invested in April, just as the crash happened, the Ukraine war crash, et cetera, et cetera. Even though, yeah, even so, <laughs> it's now doing, um, I think it's 11% up. All the portfolios as a whole are up 11% over the last year or since inception versus the STW, which is up about 4.5%. So even the light portfolio started at the worst possible time last year to start a portfolio as a whole is is doing two and a half times the STW. So the thing just, like it, it like a bugger me, Tony. It, it works. <laughs> Unless you go into a coffee mug. Bugger me. Bugger me, bugger it me works. It works. 
<laughs> you were telling me you wanted to, you want me to change the text on the website, so maybe that's what I'll put as the headline. Bugger me, yeah. it works. <laughs> in the last 30 days in the dummy portfolio, the superstar is SMR, up 26%. <laughs> in the last 30 days, LAU, another stock that I've had, it's been hit and miss for me, LAU, over the years. Lindsay, uh, it's up 18% in the last 30 days. Can't snort at that. I was telling you, I think in the light, one of the light portfolios, SKT, Sky Networks, is up 85% since I added it uh, last year. So it's another one of those stocks that I've, I said to Tony off air, I always feel dirty when I buy anything associated with Rupert Murdoch. It's even worse than buying a, a, a coal stock. A coal you know, stock, I agree. A thermal coal stock, which, you know, I feel dirty buying coal stocks, but I understand the rationale behind it. Buying Sky Network this always feels dirty too, but yeah, up 85%, uh, you know, takes a lot of the dirt off. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> well, you know, you just mentioned two things there, which I'm going to join together. One is Rupert Murdoch and the other one is, you know, the front page of our website and what we should put on it. And if I go back to when we first started, you know, talking about writing books and all that kind of stuff together, and I had this concept that, we're blind to things that are affecting us in our life. The way that areas of things which affect our life evolve to optimize the returns to the people in that industry sector, but they have a negative return on us. And one of them is financial advice, right? It's if you're financially illiterate, if you're uneducated, you're just a ticket that people are going to clip and they'll charge as much as they can and provide a piss week service and you'll get underperformance. And if you do get good performance, you're overpaying for it. So I think that society works that way. It's just like kind of evolutionary, right? It's If people can make money in an industry, they will. And that's what Rupert Murdoch's done. If you were going into the newspaper game tomorrow, would you have said, wow, tits on page three and 10 pages of soccer. And if we can find a soccer player with a girlfriend with big tits, they go on the front cover. And that's that's going to be how journalism is going to evolve. So it you know costs the least and produces the best return. You'd never think of that, but that's how... That industry has evolved, and Rupert Murdoch's a multi-billionaire because of that. And that same evolution and dynamic is going on in financial advice, it's going on in education, it goes on in health, all the other things which affect you in your life. And that's why you've got to have your eyes open to these things. So I hate investing in Rupert Murdoch, but that's how that industry has evolved and it's successful. And that's why we always have to be vigilant in everything we do, in the media we consume, in Financial advice. Get financial advice from someone who's richer than you. That's the starting point, really, isn't it? Well, there's our TikTok and YouTube clip for the week. Yeah, so that's my rant, but I was thinking about it before. Tits on page three. Tits <laughs> on page three. I wasn't thinking there's so much about that, but it was more about how industries evolved. Nash, who you know won the Nobel Prize, has this idea of of things find a, a Nash equilibrium. It's it's where industries or society or groups of people generally settle and it's the least amount of work with the best return and <laughs> and that's where newspapers have finished unfortunately for us because we're trying to consume independent media but um yeah we should be alive to that fact and yeah i think the broader point of what you're talking about there with um, how we're blind is that particularly in in the, well not particularly but a good example is financial sector investing it's an entire industry that is largely designed to keep people confused and stupid. Yeah, that's one of the things that these these industries evolved to do. Yeah, 
like there, it's a whole industry that is designed to profit from people's ignorance. The, the more that they can perpetuate that ignorance, the more money brokers make, analysts make, the financial media makes, the bankers make, et cetera, et cetera. So we're doing our little bit to try and educate people so they don't fall for those traps. And the fintech yeah. TikTokers telling everyone to get into crypto over the last <laughs> couple of years, et cetera, et cetera. Actually, I'm looking forward to the next crypto. I mean, that's, I think that's when things get interesting. You know, when someone comes along and says, Hey, I've just made a million dollars out of investing in whatever lithium. I, I suspect lithium is the new one, but we'll see or green hydrogen or whatever. And uh, a lot of people will get burnt. We'll keep plugging away, getting double market. <laughs> Well, we need to come up with the next crypto. I think you're missing the big picture here, Tony. Right, we should join the Rupert Murdochs of the world, the evil capitalists. Yeah, that's, okay. you know, people have been telling me for 30 years I should start my own religion because, uh, you know, I understand the history of religion so well. If anyone's going to start a fake religion and manipulate people, it should be me. I should be the one doing it. I know how it all works. Like, yeah, yeah. And part of me goes, yeah, you know, can I do an L. Ron Hubbard? Yeah, I think I could. But could I live with myself? No, <laughs> but I could probably do it. That's the difference, isn't it? A sex cult. That's what Ray and I always talk about. Why, why don't we have a sex cult? <laughs> like, what's wrong with us? I would have thought that was self-evident, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back to the conversation about you and a budgie smuggler on the front page of our website. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be our new marketing angle, people. Tony and a budgie smuggler on the beach. Join our sex cult. <laughs> <laughs> You can be rich like me. <laughs> I just say, like, pay pay us $99 a month or I'll keep sending you photos of Tony and a budgie smuggler. <laughs> oh, uh, speaking of commodities, Matthew, who, who we were out to lunch with today, said, or had coffee with, was saying, um, asking me about the buy list and what the columns meant that said buy, sell, Josephine, or a blank. Let me just open up. The uh, latest buy list. Okay, so these uh, are column, this is column J. And I said, oh, well, that's the commodity status column. That's there because um, in the past I had jumped the gun and bought a stock without checking the commodity status. And so I integrated it in the middle of the buy list. So it would jump out at me too much. But it's like, oh, I've just been buying the things that said buy on there. I thought they, <laughs> I, I thought they were buys. <laughs> so for anyone else who uh, has missed them, <laughs> doesn't read the uh, title of the uh, column, you see up the top it says <laughs> commodity status. Next to it, column K is commodity type. So that's just telling you the status of the commodity. So obviously if something is a Josephine or if it's a sell, we wouldn't buy it. If it's a buy, it means it's clear to buy. If there's a dash there, it means either it doesn't have an underlying commodity like uh, N1H, N1 Holdings, or Bell Financial Group doesn't have a commodity that we can track. Or in some cases, it means it has multiple commodities like uh, South 32, nickel, zinc, aluminium, coal, and we need to get a little bit deeper and break down the weightings of the commodities. I'm actually trying to get one of my freelancers um, to do all of that research for us soon. 
so we have done that analysis. Unfortunately, in order to do that, you either, if Stock Doctor don't report it, and they often don't, you have to go into the annual report and go to the revenue and break it all down. It's a bit of work involved. So I've asked her to go and do that for us, and we can throw that in there. But in the meantime, you have to do it yourself. So yes, for the buy list, column J is the commodity status, not telling you whether or not you should buy the stock. I mean, you probably, yeah, if it's on the buy list and the commodities are buy, it's probably probably a safe bet. You're probably not going to go too wrong there, but um, yeah. Well, that's it. You're going to do a pulled pork, I think. I am, yeah. I'm going to do a pulled pork on Virgin Money UK. By the way, the pulled pork uh, uh, compilation episode I did, everyone loved the feedback that I got. Really? Yeah, I, every, I think the pulled pork is sort of the highlight of the episode for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's your analysis, your, the way that you analyze these companies and think it through. So it is, it's a, it's a winner. I was partially doing it for that reason because I know it's popular and also partially doing it to see how those companies fared and, and it was hit or miss. And obviously last year was a tough year in the markets. And I, I guess that was my takeaway from it is, you know, you're doing pulled porks on companies that look good on paper. The fundamentals are good. They're good businesses, but being a good business doesn't necessarily mean that you will do well in the short term. Share price will do well in the short term. Over the long term, it probably means it'll do well. And this gets back to the the question the light subscriber sent me this morning about, should I sell SMR and redeploy those funds? I was talking about this with Matthew over the coffee today. Yeah, it seems good. We've gone over this before. It seems good in theory. Take my profits, reinvest it, but you don't know how the companies you you reinvest those funds into are going to do. Because even though these companies look good on paper and Tony does a pulled pork in them, they don't always do well share price-wise in the short term. So better to keep your money invested in the thing that's doing well. And just, I mean, I think it is. On balance, it is. It doesn't mean Stanmore Coal will keep going up. But to get our double market return, we follow a system where we don't sell things when they've gone up 50%. We ride them. Which is counterintuitive and is. is very different to what a lot of the guests that are value investors we've had on the show do. A lot of them take their profits and reinvest for a variety of reasons. Sometimes they're in they're running funds where they've got something built into their policies that they're going to do that, their mandate, but we don't. And I think that's one of the reasons why your results are better than most of the guests that we have on the show. Well, I think so. But again, we'd have to test it. We'd have to run a whole portfolio over a long period of time and see whether you're better off taking a 50% profit and then run all sorts of different scenarios over whether 50 is better than 60 or whether 60 is better than 40 and is 100% better. What's our threshold? So good job for our new intern. <laughs> He's got a lot to do before he gets to that. But yeah, it would be a good, I mean, very interesting job to, to test that theory. But I mean, we can do that or we can just go, well, Buffett said it. And, <laughs> It's worked for him. It's worked for me. I'll probably put that to the bottom of the list. <laughs> Fair enough. Maybe we can optimize it, but it works. Vuck me, Tony. Vuck me. <laughs> Yavul. <laughs> VUK, Virgin UK, Virgin Money UK. I may have done this before, but it's just come back onto the buy list. If I have done it, it's, it's quite a while ago, so it's worth going over again. So Virgin Money UK is, is a couple of banks based in obviously the UK, based in Leeds. It's changed its name. I think it may have actually merged or acquired the Virgin Money business in the UK, but it was formerly known as CYBG. That was its uh, name and indicator, which uh, stood for Clydesdale Banking Group. It also has the Yorkshire Banking Group as part of it now and Virgin Money UK. 
It's UK banks. It's uh, These banks are retail banks, so they're similar to the ones that operate in Australia. They offer mortgages and savings accounts. Uh, they have some little bit of wealth management, superannuation investments. Um, they offer credit cards, personal loans, et cetera. So not too dissimilar to the major banks in Australia. So we're not talking about Goldman Sachs or you know, Wall Street investment banks. We're talking about the sort of bread and butter building society-like banks that we have in Australia. And one of the reasons why we have this listed on the stock exchange here, and it's not just on the UK exchange, is because it used to be a division of the National Australia Bank, NAB. Quite a while ago, CEO called Frank Secudo went on a bit of a joyride around the world and bought up stakes in banks in America and the UK. The long story short, ended really badly, which it always does for Australian banks investing overseas. And that, listeners, is a red flag for me if I see one of the big four banks investing overseas. It's it's never been done profitably in in certainly in my investing lifetime. And for a whole variety of reasons, partly the banks uh, sometimes overseas work differently in Australia. And that was the reason why NAB's US investments did poorly because in the US, uh, people refinance all the time. You don't take out a bank line for a long period of time. And the banks over there don't make it hard to get out of the current banking arrangements. They just flip them whenever the interest rates change in the US. So a different market. And uh, NAB weren't sort of part of that culture and uh, they got burnt badly when interest rates went down. And uh, yeah, it's just been a, a common theme for Australian banks. They don't invest well overseas. I think the other point is Australian banks are protected by the four pillars, which stops them from being taken over by someone else. So they kind of, they're kind of insular. And uh, they, they're really not taking any sort of value proposition when they go overseas. It's not like we're doing banking vastly different or better than banks in the UK. We just, they do it well, but they're not world beaters. There's nothing unique in the Australian market, which we can take overseas. They're not like the only banks with banking apps or internet banking sites. They're, they're the same as the other banks overseas. So the only reason they go overseas is because they they want to try and boost their growth profile in Australia and they can't take each other out. So they've pretty much soaked up all the, the minor banks in Australia that, you know, there's still a couple out there, but um, no real big ones for them to take over. So occasionally they try and go overseas and it works out badly for them. So long story short, NAB split off its UK operations. They became CYBG and then now they're called Virgin Money UK BUK. So that's what you're buying if you buy this share. Yeah, onto the numbers, the share price uh, was 3.45 when I did this analysis. It's about that now, it might be 3.46. I had a look before we started. 3.45 is is uh, actually quite cheap compared to IV1 and IV2, which are respectively $4.30 and $4.71. So this is a cheap buy based on intrinsic value, based on book value as well. So the book value for this share, the net equity per share is $7.85. So it's a long way below book value for this and obviously book plus 30. So it's scoring really well on those metrics. We'll find out as I go through that uh, the forecast earnings uh, growth is negative and that's probably why it's cheap, but um, it's certainly on an, an asset basis, it's very cheap. The, this share has just gone back onto the buy list and so it has a, a recent upturn. The share price of 345 is slightly below consensus uh, estimates on price, so that's scores for us. The prop cap for this company is currently 1.45 times, so that's really low. You're almost paying to buy this stock in what it generates in cash this year. So on the valuation side of things, it's really cheap. 
And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week, runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have invites to to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc. Just sign up for the two-week free trial and check it all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you uh, like the idea of value investing QAV style but don't feel like you have the time or resources to uh, you know, learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite, That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Check that out too. It's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you but uh, you know while he's not <laughs> we can do this so check that out qavpodcast.com.au slash light l-i-g-h-t that's it if you don't want to sign up to any of those just keep listening to the free episodes and if you have any questions uh, shoot me an email you find that on our website too all right have a great week and good luck with your investing the qav podcast is a production of space Craft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129217. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.